Lights, camera, action. We have Michael Hausman today as our guest, and I am so, so excited to have you here, Michael. This is uh, what a treat, what a treasure. Uh, 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 in in the in now in the the list of guests we've had, I've 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 uh, longed to have someone with your life as a producer uh, and uh, AD and a UPM, uh, someone who's been around for the years of uh, being a great veteran as you've been. And I, 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 uh, I wanted to uh, start with, uh, with right now. What's going on? What, what have you been up to lately? What, what's going on in your life right now in terms of projects coming up? Are you, do you have things that you can talk about or things that you've got, you've got things in preparation? I noticed something about uh, the Black, Black Sox. Is it Black Sox? Or, well, yeah. um, I think I have one more movie in me. Yeah. Uh, I, I hope so, but... Um, most people think I'm retired or dead, but uh, uh, <laughs> as you can see, <laughs> I'm still walking. At least I took the subway here, so that was okay. Um, the business, uh, Charlie, has, has changed tremendously from when I started. Um, when I started uh, in 65 and 70, when I did the first movie with Milos Forman, um, and then went on to make seven more with him, um, it was a uh, director's-based medium. And uh, in those days, uh, the studio would give the director a green light, and uh, he would um, pick the people to make the movie with him. And uh, as long as, uh, when he picked me, as long as I made the movie on budget and on time, uh, you know, there's no news in this business that travels as fast as bad news. Good news doesn't travel anywhere. Bad news travels very quickly. Um, and I had come from a background of um, being a stockbroker. Um, so I understood money and I understood uh, how to, to manage it well. And so in those days, when the director uh, picked a producer, like for Orion in those days, uh, um, Bill Bernstein and uh, Arthur Krim, uh, uh, they said, okay, make the movie, and, and we made the movie, and uh, then I went on because of reputation of doing the right thing. Uh, uh, I ended up uh, making the next movie. Um, today it's much different. It's not a director's medium. It's a, a producer's medium, and, of course, it's a television medium more than a feature film uh, business. Absolutely. Uh, the movies I used to make in the $20 million range, uh, Nobody's Fool and... Uh, other movie uh, places in the heart uh, for Bob Benton. Um, those movies aren't made anymore. Uh, there are two kinds of movies that are made. Um, they're either uh, 100,000 to 2 million uh, or 125 million. Uh, the, the movie, The Sweet Spot of 20 million, aren't made anymore for the simple reason uh, that if you make it for 20, um, you've got to have another 20 to advertise it because if you don't advertise it uh, um, people won't get to see it so you need money for newspapers for television uh, uh, ads in variety etc cetera, etc cetera. so those movies are very hard to make today um, so to answer your question what am I doing uh, today um, I actually um, I just bought a I also um, the thing that's a big change is that I realized that um, if I didn't own it, I didn't own it. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and so for a producer today, you have to own the property. Uh, you're not going to get hired on by someone else because the studios, when they make a movie with a director, uh, they're going to put their own young whippersnapper uh, in uh, to manage the, manage the director. And uh, if the director doesn't behave himself, they get rid of him. <laughs> that didn't happen in my day. Um, <clears throat> uh, so um, I bought a book. Uh, called Question Authority by a former employee of mine, uh, Rachel Klein. And now um, I'm trying to reinvent myself as the owner of uh, our property. And uh, um, I'm going back to my Rolodex. Uh, most of the numbers have changed or don't exist anymore. <laughs> but uh, uh, tomorrow I'm going out to California and going to meet with some people that uh, still remember me or don't remember me. Um, and, and see if I could raise some money uh, to get a screenplay written. And um, on my list, of course, is uh, it's, a, it's a woman's story. Um, so uh, I really wanted a woman to be a director. And today uh, there's a whole list of wonderful, new, young, talented women who, who are directors and who also have their own production company, Reese Absolutely. Witherspoon, uh, uh, Jennifer Fox, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So um, uh, Martha De Laurentiis, who um, I know from the Dino days of uh, 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 earlier movies, Ragtime. So people are nice, you know. And, and, and young directors like Reed Morano, who's just coming up. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah so, exactly. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the problems is, of course, um, uh, sometimes like uh, Natalie Portman, you have to go through their agent. The agent, by law, actually is has to show a project to their client. Um, but, you know, agencies today, <clears throat> once they solve the writer, screenwriter agency problem, um, agencies tend to package things. You know, they, they say, okay, uh, let's use one of our own directors, one of our own producers, uh, let's use our own cast, and then we'll get a fee uh, for it. Um, so I'm trying to go through some agencies for some of the, the high-end uh, uh, women directors, and we'll, we'll see what happens. Right, but it was but but if we if if by comparison to uh, the the era of, uh, of of Cine House and 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 working with with uh, early years with with Bob and and Irwin and then later with with of course with Milos and a whole host of others, um, your uh, ensembles came from. Uh, people that you repeated with and collaborated with, and you, as you said, it was a director's medium. So you were able to put together financing and have uh, uh, studios or independent financiers put together money to, to back you guys. Um, in the stages of your career in the in the early years, were all of those uh, films. Uh, originally financed partly with uh, with independent financiers when you were doing early films, or were they right out of the gate with uh, with with studio funding? No, the earlier film. Well, first of all, from '65 to '70, um, I was working uh, at, in Duart Film Laboratory and uh, right. owned by Irwin Young, who's the godfather 
of all New York filmmakers. Absolutely. Marty Scorsese, I, Spike Lee. I mean, um, there isn't a young, uh, there isn't an older guy of my generation that didn't process film uh, at I, I worked for him in 1989. So, oh, so. yeah, yeah. So I, I have, yeah, he's still around. And Bob Young, um, I was a painter when I was younger. Uh, well, I was a stockbroker and then a painter. And uh, I had no interest in the film business. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, I didn't go to Columbia where I teach and then think I'm going to be a film producer or director. <laughs> you know, I had no clue. When I graduated from Cornell in 1957, my father said to me, what are you going to do? And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> I had no idea of that, what the next step was. Fortunately, after I got out of the Army, uh, my brother was on the board of directors of Duarte, and he um, uh, heard from Irwin that Bob Young had just made a movie with Michael Romer called Nothing But a Man. Like all young filmmakers, today even, they think that um, if you make one successful movie, that was about an African-American couple in the South. It was, it was very successful at the time. And like all filmmakers then and now, you made one movie, the second one's going to be easy. That's bullshit. Uh, the second one's just going to be as hard, uh, uh, if not harder. Um, uh, and they'll probably throw you other African-American movies if that's what your story is about, not about something else. Um, and uh, they were, had a series of films for the American Federation of Arts on different aspects of painting. And um, So you did some documentaries back then? Yeah, what, well, yeah, since did... I was a painter, yeah. uh, they had four films to make uh, on painting, and that's how I started. And I... Uh, I started with David Rubin, who now has like 18 Emmys on his uh, uh, in his office as a documentary filmmaker, and you know we learn by every mistake uh, in the book on someone else's money. That's what I'm saying to young people today. Uh, you come out of college and you think you're going to be uh, have a screenplay. Uh, uh, under your arm. <laughs> well, the tools changed too. I mean, we all shot film back then, and uh, uh, the, the the digital world democratized what uh, <laughs> uh, someone who decided they could be a creator could be. Um, but you're right, all you of know. a sudden, all of a sudden, someone with a with a, a digital uh, DSLR or a DSLR and an iPhone is a filmmaker. Yeah. <laughs> In those days, it was a nice private club. There were two hundred people of us, uh, you know, and. Uh, uh, it was a very exclusive club. The, the cameras, the Panavision cameras, you know, you need four people to carry it. Today, everybody can go to Best Buy. They buy a $200 camera. Uh, they uh, put two people in front of a, a window, and they're filmmakers, you know. They're not filmmakers. Uh, my opinion is they're not smart enough. <laughs> they, they, you know, they don't read the newspaper. They're, they're making some movie that their grandmother won't even like. Um, you know, uh, uh, I always say to my student at Columbia, all right, show me this awful film. Um, uh, at least get it out of your system uh, and then go make a movie th that's about something that entertains and also educates people, uh, you know, not about something that's important to you that no one really cares about, you know. Dial back to Merrill Lynch. I'm very confused because you, you start your story and your life a little bit about uh, uh, you know, working and, and getting to know the, the, 
the, the, the youngs and, and becoming connected to them. But you mentioned something about having worked in, in, a, in a finance capacity, I which became, star- became a tool. So tell me about that, because I, I know nothing of that part of your, your life and your, early, and your early life before getting in, even before deciding to you know, maybe take a turn towards uh, becoming an artist. Well, getting out of the Army, uh, I uh, spent six months in the Army and two months in Fort Dix, which is no longer a basic training. Um, but then I went to um, uh, Houston, Texas, and uh, for four months uh, trained to be a combat medic. And 9-11.1 was the MOS. And I was a combat medic for six months. And then um, I, be, I went to Merrill Lynch. My dad knew somebody there. And for two years, I trained to be an account executive. And um, uh, that was very valuable in understanding money. Um, uh, even today, you know, if I opened up my phone, I'll have a list of the 10, 10 stocks that I like or follow. Um, and it was very valuable in um, figuring out money, understanding money, where it came from. Well, also in, in, the, in the movie finance world, you have uh, equity, debt, uh, 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 commitments that are made by foreign sales for some minimum guarantees that are done before a, a film actually rolls, um, uh, distribution versus not distribution, letters of intent, all kinds of things that are mechanisms with with talent that are bankable, you know. So there's all kinds of, of but there are all kinds of financial structures for films. Uh, 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 certainly, the foreign sales model with with raising uh, debt against uh, what will be the ultimate distribution in the foreign market is one of them. But tell me about uh, the your history and being involved in a little bit in in some of the financing when you went from having a knowledge of that to getting involved or, or was it more about the organization of staying on budget and being financially responsible on a film? Well, the things that haven't changed, the thing that really hasn't changed is that um, when you make a movie for a studio, uh, the decisions aren't made by the creative people. They're made by the accountants. Uh, the accountants uh, look at the script, uh, who's in it, uh, and uh, who's directing it, and what will we uh, get from England? What will we get from France? What will we get from China? What are the projections? Yeah, what their projections are. Absolutely. If they don't add up to the making, uh, getting the movie made, they turn the movie down. It's, it's as simple as that. Simple That's math. why what's above the line, above the, uh, above the line uh, on the marquee is important. That's why you put... Uh, Paul Newman in the movie. That's why you put uh, Meryl Streep in the movie. Gives you some. It gives you numbers that you can quant. You can quantify yeah, what that what that means. Yeah, exactly. You know, so that, that that's very important. In the independent world, it's different. Um, in the earlier years, we have to piece together things. Uh, for example, Heartland uh, was made with Annick Smith, and it was for public broadcasting, and uh, we got a, a grant. And, you know, that movie, movie was made for $800,000. I shot it. Dick Pierce directed it. It was with Rip Torn and Conchata Farrell. We shot it in five weeks. Uh, uh, I said to Dick Pierce, who directed it, I said, um, we're going to shoot this in five weeks. Fortunately, we got four seasons in the f- winter, summer, fall, you know, all the seasons in the five weeks. 
And I said to Dick, in five weeks, you could stay here. The camera is going home. I mean, you could stay as long as you want, uh, uh, but the camera uh, is going in five weeks because we can't. And at the end of five weeks, uh, um, Dick said, I got it. And I said, well, you got another hour before sunset. Don't you want to use it? He said, no, we got the movie. And, and we made the movie. And that was, had to be made for the amount of money. The beauty of that movie was, even though it was made for public broadcasting, when we showed them the movie, they agreed to have a theatrical opening. So we opened, uh, um, we opened at the Paris Theater in New York, and a place in L.A. And it, and it played, it played theatrically. Uh, yeah, it had a theatrical. You know, everybody wants a theatrical um, opening today. Uh, Netflix, uh, uh, The Irishman. You know, Irishman's made for Netflix, but they want a theatrical opening. But they were not allowed to play in commercial theaters because they didn't do a deal to to make that happen. That's so they could correct, only play in know, independent uh, theaters for that film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All that kind of war, you know. Um, listen, more people are going to see your movie on television uh, than we'll see it in the, th the theaters without without question. And also, uh, if it's no good, it should go on television. <laughs> It'll be forgotten about, you know. Well, I mean, uh, 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 television, by definition, is no longer really television anyway. It's streaming and subscription. So, That's correct. So yeah. uh, the... The, the model for, for, for what television is is no longer under people uh, buying uh, uh, the ability to watch uh, uh, cable channels or network channels for a uh, single price. They buy them individually, and with the population of people, you can look at each of these monthly subscriptions they pay as a little bit like a, like a movie ticket, in a sense. I mean, if you're paying 10 bucks or 15 bucks a month for whatever it is that you're getting... I mean, I'm not saying that you don't go to the more than one movie a month, but if if the if an average person might only go to one movie a month and they pay a monthly subscription, they're paying box office on a monthly basis for all of the content they receive. Whereas in the old cable model, not so much. You paid one price to a cable provider. They gave you all the channels that you were allowed to have within that. And then there were a few little bumps that you had to pay for subscriptions. But the new world is is a much larger global revenue model for streaming. Yeah, but yeah. I went uh, to see uh, 1917 in a theater. Sam Mendes, yeah. yeah. There's a, a theater at uh, like 12th Street and Broadway. And a very important film to see in a theater. Yeah, you want to see it in a theater big, you know. I had an Academy member. I got a copy of it, but I wanted to see it in a theater. And, you know, that theater's been renovated. It's beautiful. Uh, seats go back at big screen. Uh, so there's a hope for uh, films to still be in. People go out. I like that, you know, I saw... Um, well, even a film like Marriage Story, which was more like the films back in the day that you did, the, the, that $20 million category, yeah. right? That's, that's a film that, that has, a, has, a, had a, has had a theatrical life. It was also a streaming Day and day yeah, you know why that but it's is, both. too? Because yeah. I, uh, last year I saw a, a movie that I actually loved called Green Book. Yes, know? there you and go. Green Book, to see it in a theater, people were laughing. 
you know, it was such a, it was like a community. Uh, people were laughing, they were having a good time. Uh, at the end, everyone applauded and got up. You know, I mean, it, it's same with Marriage Story. I mean, and energy. Yeah, it was. It's 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 fun. You know. Right. That's what the experience but, you is. Know, last yeah. night I watched the college uh, championships. You know, the commercials. You know, I mean, you know, it's it's a gone era. I mean, you can't. You know. I can I can do the commercials, I can do the commercials off screen. I'm so used to them, you know. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, yeah, Tina yeah. Fey and uh, uh, that guy licking her lips or whatever she's the, doing, and may have yeah. progressive. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it yeah. can drive yeah. you crazy, yeah. you know. Yeah, over yeah. and over again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I want to know. We we started to chat about it a little bit before, but I take me to Montana and and what goes on in your life out there and. And, and, you know, you're wearing, uh, you've, you've always sort of talked to me about your, your passion for, for your property out there and your life out there. And because that's another part of your life. You live, you have a place here in New York. You live here in New York, but you spend a, a degree of your, your year out, out in, uh, out in Montana. How did that begin? And tell me the story well, of, of, I, of your identity out there. You know, Charles, I'm, I'm lucky. I have two lives. I have a, a life here in New York on Broadway. And then I have a life on a buffalo ranch in central Montana, which I uh, uh, built after making Heartland with Dick Pierce. And, I, you know, I wanted to be a, a New York Jewish cowboy. So you're a Jewish cowboy. Yeah. So. I love that. <laughs> so I ended, up, um, I ended up out there, and I started with cattle. Uh, and then I realized, you know, that buffalo were here before me, and we're just renting the place until... Somebody else takes it over. And so I started with three, um, one named after my mom, one after my dad. Um, the bull was named Jack after my dad. Oh, my God. That's and fantastic. I, I built the herd, and now I have 18 females and a, uh, <coughs> a bull. But you know what's interesting um, is that, as I mentioned before, I went to Cornell, uh, Cornell's upstate New York and Ithaca, and they have... Yeah, my, my, my dad went there, class of 47. Ah, yeah, well, yeah. I was uh, class of 57. Wow, 10 and years so, after. There you so go. they have at Cornell a fantastic um, agricultural facility. If I knew then what I knew now, know now, I would have rather gone from the being a political science major uh, in the arts department and going to the ag school, I could have been a rancher. I have that temperament. When I'm out there, I, my nearest neighbor is three miles away. I could be there a week. I don't see anybody. Uh, and it's a great change from here. Um, living on Broadway outside of NYU, I mean, I you know, they're just people. And, you know... In Montana, you walk down the street in the town and people say hello. Here, I think one of the big problems in the modern America today is that um, you're into yourself too much. You um, are on your iPhone, uh, your phone. You go in the subway. I, used, I still talk to people in the subway. I don't, you know. Um, if there's a young lady next to me and I'm with my wife, I'll, I'll say something. Otherwise, you know. But everybody... And the subway is looking at their phone into their own lives. You walk down the street, 
you have to get out of the way because people are on their... Uh, there's nothing new coming in. It's their own friends, their own, oh, I just had an ice cream. Oh, you did. Oh, yeah, what flavor? I mean, you know, you know I say to my students... It's Everyone's like, reporting their life moment by moment in a social yeah, media sense. And and uh, my, I have a, a 21-year-old son that uses Snapchat and a, a 25-year-old daughter that uses some of the same... And there's a lot of there's a lot of what I call, um, if if we want to think of our lives like like imagine we didn't have phones, but we're walking down the street, and you, as a filmmaker, have experienced the power of uh, of uh, the soundtrack and the moment of feeling like you're in your own movie, right? So I don't know if you do this, but I do. Or they have their earplugs. They, li- they listen you know. to music, right? Yeah. But but everybody, in a sense in their lives is creating their own little movie scenes about their life. They're, it's almost like a date. It's like a day-to-day documentary of the self that they're sharing socially to all of their friends, but they're constantly focused in this world of, of creating the, the, the persona of their moment while not putting their media down and just having the experience and being the character, being the character without the camera. Being the being the individual connecting, which is what you're describing, right? Well, you you go to a, a restaurant and you see a young couple sitting across from each other. They're both on their on their phones. It's amazing. <coughs> I heard about a book which I think people should read, or it's easy. Basically, it's called Twenty Four Six, and the woman said that she and her family, um, one day a week, put their phones away. And talk to each other at dinner and everything. No phones, no internet, no computers. And uh, they, she said, it's it's improved her family life, which I think is interesting. Right, and and for you, the going back to where we were starting with with the the, the great wide open in Montana, you have both the piece of of uh, endless horizon. Uh, you have your your uh, uh, family of bison around you and you have uh, uh, peace and tranquility and then also what town are you in in Montana are you in a town where you where you walk around and you know the people who well, are but the, if you forget the butter you got to go 42 miles to get it <laughs> for real yeah. you're 42 miles from 42 a town. miles to the grocery store wow yeah. see this is the part of the the Montana story so don't I don't forget, know you don't, forget, you don't the, forget the butter no no <laughs> it's, um, it's minus eight this morning at the minus ranch. eight at the ranch Wow, and uh, and 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 do you spend a chunk of your your year out there, or your or you go out um, mostly in the I warmer go a season? I day after my birthday in May, yeah, and I'm there all summer, right? And we just, my wife and I, were just there for Christmas. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, for, uh, for two weeks, I set up my train, my Lionel trains around the cactus, and I love it. <laughs> oh, I'd love to see that image. Yeah, that's but fantastic. But I mean, you you raised a uh, a question of how to piece things together. Let me tell you um, a story about uh, The People versus Larry Flint. Yeah. Um, Casting, was it? The casting uh, story? Well, it's a casting story, and how a producer can help solve it. Um, It was with uh, Woody Harrelson. And um, Milos, uh, Milos would not cast anybody unless he screen tested them. That includes Jimmy Cagney on Ragtime. Jimmy Cagney, 
one of the screen tests. Um, so on People versus Larry Flint, there were three girls that we uh, did screen tests. And the third one was Courtney Love. And um, Milos sent the tapes of the three girls, and um, they said, uh, okay. And he said, I want Courtney Love. And they didn't want Courtney Love. So they threw up a, a flag saying, we can't get insurance on her because she had um, had a reputation of um, some habits. Mm. Uh, so um, Milo said, I want her. And they said, well, we can't, uh, we can't insure her. And um, there's so much money for insurance in the budget, and we can't insure her. Mm -hmm. This is a producer problem. Um, you know, the wonderful thing about working with a movie, uh, with a director over, let's see, uh, 50, 40 years, is that um, Milos never wanted to do my job, and I never wanted to do his. Uh, at one time, he said to me, you know, Mike, um, as you know, I make my movies in the editing room. Uh, why don't you shoot the movie, and then I'll edit it? And I said, no, 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 it, we, we can't do that. You have to say action and cut. Uh, I'll do the rest. You just say those two words, and I'll do the rest. And that's how we got along. So what to do? Um, no money for Courtney Love. Milos wants Courtney Love. So I went to Lloyd's of London, and I found out what it would cost to insure Courtney Love. It was a hundred and I think my recollection is on like a hundred and thirty thousand dollars. So I said, "Well, it's a hundred and thirty thousand dollars." The studio said, "It's nice to know that, but we're not putting it in the budget." So um, I went to sleep on it. And the next morning, I said, "Okay." Um, Woody, uh, how much money <laughs> are you going to give us from your salary? And Courtney, if you're in it, how much? And How much above the line, right. How exactly. much are you going to kick back so we can do it? Milos, how about you? And we went down the line, and I put in some money, and um, I went to Gary Martin, uh, who was uh, head of physical production at Sony. At Sony, yeah. And uh, still a dear friend of mine. And uh, um, I said, Gary, we got the money. And they said, fine. Um, but we want someone on the set every day. And once a week, uh, Courtney will go into the ladies' room with the lady who was the monitor and pee, pee into a a capsule and make sure she's okay. And um, we raised the money. And then um, Milo said to Courtney, um, I was there, Courtney, are you gonna behave yourself? And she said she would. Now, basically she did. Um, but I will say that uh, we shot a lot of that movie in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, I could be mayor of Memphis. I made three movies there. You know, when the mayor was running for re-election, um, 
I wrote him and said, I haven't decided to run or not. And he said, please don't, you'll beat me. <laughs> what a story. That's a story. All these years on location gave you an identity oh, in the town, Sa- right? I was Santa the t- Claus. I was, you know, I mean, it was, uh, anyhow. So um, uh, I said to every, every actor on the movie had a driver. And Courtney had a driver. And... Uh, one day she was like an hour late, a half an hour late on the on the set, you know. And um, I said to the driver, I got a key to her house. It was on Mud Island. I said, if she's not out in a half an hour, you go in the house. I don't care if she's dressed. I don't care if she's in bed. You pick her up and throw her in the car. And that's... That was it. She's the only actress today, or actor, that when she sees me, she says, hello, Mr. Houseman. <laughs> I love it. Everyone that. else says, Buffalo Mike, or hey, Mike, how are you? <laughs> hello, Mr. Houseman. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. So that's how that, that's how that came together. That's a story. That's a story that I don't think that uh, I've ever heard told about any the, film before. I'll tell because, you the end of it. Yeah, yeah. The end of it is we came in on budget. And Gary Martin gave us our money back. On the insurance? Yeah. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> what, what an incredible circle to, yeah. a, to an absolutely, absolutely lovely story of, yeah. of, of, of you coming up with a way to make it creatively work and then still getting everybody back and making everybody whole. Yeah. That's outrageous. Outrageous. Um, you've, you've done AD work for, and, and, and produced for Ang Lee, Michelle Gondry, David Mamet, Sidney Pollack, uh, uh, all, all kinds Mike of, Mike Nichols, uh, Mike Nichols, Elaine May, uh, uh, uh incredible roster, uh, uh of, of people you've worked with. How did your relationship evolve? I mean, not that it's unlikely that you would have connected with, with Michelle, but you worked with Michelle on on both Be Kind Rewind and Eternal Sunshine before that. How did you connect with Michelle Gondry? Um, well, he came from a commercial world, uh, used, to, used to a lot of kind of digital effects and, you know, it was very, I did a couple of uh, music videos, as music well, right? videos with yeah. him too. Um, I was the AD and producer on that movie, Eternal Sunshine, with Jim Carrey, and um, incredibly creative. Ellen Curris, remarkable. Just the work that was done, right? Yeah. And um, as an AD, I always like to be on the set before everybody else. Uh, The crew calls at seven. I'll be there at six thirty, making sure that the grip truck was there. Catering, coffee was hot, who knows what. On that particular movie, I had my second AD on the set, and Michelle Gondry, I lived on Broadway and A Street, and Michelle was staying in a place like at 10th Street someplace. I chose to ride in the car with him because I knew that he wanted to always change something. We're not going to shoot this scene. We're going to add this thing or who knows what. Yeah. Um, Come close to the So mic. it was uh, tremendously helpful to rise, ride with him and have my phone with me. So Michelle, on occasion, would say, um, I, I want to try this. And 
if it was possible to change it, I would call the set and say, we're not going to do this scene first. We're going to do this scene first. Please let the cast know the hair and makeup people. But, you know, we had Kate Winslet and 14 different color hairs, you know. Um, so, uh, and if it was not possible, I said, Michelle, great idea. Next time, let me know a week ahead of time, and, and we can do it. And uh, so we, we got along with him. I did two movies with him, and then he fired me on the third one. Um, I was going to do um, a movie called... Uh, the one after Be Kind Rewind, which I'm not as familiar with. I don't know the um, title. It, yeah. was, it was, a, mm-hmm. it was a, um, about some uh, giant. I don't know who it was. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, some but it didn't. But that fictional didn't. Character. But that didn't come together after that. After Be Kind Rewind. Yeah, you, well, they, they last, made it without made it. me, and I still yeah. get residuals from them because they couldn't get rid of me. I uh, I was in New York at my father-in-law's funeral, and Michelle called me up and said, "Mike, uh, I'm firing you. You changed." Um, so I flew back uh, to L.A. and I went in the office. I said, "Michelle, um, you're perfectly." entitled to fire me that's your right but let me tell you i haven't changed you have changed you know i see people today and they say i'm exactly the same as i was 15 years ago i don't change so you know um that's okay but don't don't tell me i changed you changed so right and then that was that that was that and you started out. I mean, I, I I don't know David very well, but I got to know him a little bit when I when I lived up up north in Boston for a while. And I when it, when he when he did uh, started out with uh, a House of Games and things change and all that. You worked with him right, really, when he was going from really being a a, a playwright from the theater and getting well, into, met David into making his first film. Right. Well, I met yeah. David Mamet on Places in the Heart. His wife at that time was Lindsay Krause. Lindsay Krause, exactly. And uh, I was a cigar smoker at that time. And uh, Lindsay said, "Well, go see." The David said, "Go see Mike. Oh. He has some nice cigars." Oh yeah, da- and I David did. was his, David was. And a then major he said, "I'd smoker. like to direct a movie." Uh, I said, "Great." What is it? And he said it was House of Games. And I said, great. Um, where has it been? And he sent me a list of 40 places he brought. I said, well, what do you want me to do? You, you went to every place. Uh, so I fortunately was able to convince uh, Orion to make that movie. Um, so I you, made three movies with David. Right. So you So after he had made attempts to ignite possibilities for, for making that, which was the first film... Uh, 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 it was through your uh, through your efforts at that time that you were able to find the deal to make it happen. Well, yeah. because we would make it for a price that the studio felt they could get their money back. You know, <laughs> uh, I don't know what the budget was before. Oh, yeah. but, you know, sure, but it was of course. Certainly what, what I said, it was, we made it for nothing. We made it down in, in Baltimore. Um, and uh, the opening s- sequence of that movie is uh, um, a SWAT team is going into the... This is House of Games now, yeah, right? House, yeah. yeah, going going into uh, for a drug bust, you know? And um, what I learned from Milos was if you can get real people doing real things, it's better than having actors pretending they're doing real things. 
And so I went to the Baltimore Police Department and said, do you have a SWAT team? But wasn't House of Games a gambling thing, or is that homicide? I'm trying to oh, think. Oh, it's which, homicide. You're yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, no, because you just yeah. started to talk no, about uh, a title. House of Games with R- Ricky Jay. Ricky yeah. Jay, yeah. 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 We'll the go sto- into that later. Yeah, the story you were telling was about homicide. Homicide. But House of Games was the first film. That's correct. Right. But you were, so you were telling me the story of how you got, got him to be able to make House of Games, and House of Games was a story that he really wanted to tell. And I think uh, David, I his... David, David had a fascination with, with, with card magic and, and with gambling and all yes, that, right? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, his wife was in it at that time, Lindsay. Lindsay and, was and, in uh, it, yeah. I remember being at a, a read-through around the table, something like this, and um, uh, on one occasion, um, Lindsay said, well, I'd like to change this line uh, to, I think this would be a better line. David said, uh, read the line. <laughs> you know, his actors, Bill Macy, Joe Montagna, everybody. Yeah, an ensemble. Actors, were David Mamet's entourage. Say the lines. You know, uh, it's my script. Say the lines. <laughs> Absolutely. That's the way he. You know, that's the way he worked, yeah. And of course, the lines were good. You know, but a great that, writer. That's who David is. He came from theater. From theater, you know, absolutely, he, Chicago. Yeah. yeah, yeah, outrageous. Yeah. So, so he, how did he? Uh, so he found you on a film that Lindsay was on, and that's how. Yeah, it, that's how. And that, and that's right. how it began. Interesting yeah. story. And then, and then your your connection to uh, 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 to to Ang Lee goes back uh, a little ways. But but what? How did how did that? How did how did you end up getting to work with him to out of the gate on the first project that you did with him? Well, James Seamus uh, introduced me to Ang Lee. And, um, it was Taking Woodstock? Was that the first one? No, it was... was, uh, it was uh, uh, I knew James Seamus because he was a um, colleague at Columbia. Columbia University, yeah. of course, yeah. And um, I got two scripts in one day. I got Brokeback Mountain, directed by Ang Lee. Yeah. And I got a, um, a movie on... Um, uh, James Mangold on uh, the, the singer. What was his name? Uh, uh, it was a Mangold picture. The, the, yeah. another, another another picture. Yeah, yeah. got it. I forgot. Mm-hmm. It was very successful. Um, and uh, I read both scripts. Yep. And uh, I should have taken the other one. I would have made much more money. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I took Ang's movie. Um and we shot it up in Canada. Right, and we right. We shot it up in Canada, which was a great place to make it. The Canadians really are very good with the environment. We shot in a lot of national parks there. You know, it's with Heath Ledger, and that's yeah. where he met broke Michelle back, Williams. Broke, broke back um, mountain, yeah. You know, so um, Heath, Heath and Jake Gyllenhaal, you know, we had a lot of fun with the studio because, um, you know, it was about two gay cowboys. And... Every once in a while, I would get in the tent and shake the tent and have them, you know, have them film the tent shaking, you know, as if the two guys were in there. And I'd send it to the studio and they'd say, is this going to be in the movie? And I said, no, I'm just having some fun with you. <laughs> Good times. Good times. So, uh, and you also work with Robert Benton. Yes, I do. Uh, and... Uh, and tell me, get dive in a little bit with me with with the early years with 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 Bob and Irwin and uh, and films like uh, the Ballad of Gregorio Cortez and Alambrista and uh, uh, 
uh, early stuff that you did with them and how and how those films were produced back then. Well, there was this is Garden early Sun, on. which was a Cormac McCarthy script, and he of course went on to make one, of the, you know, to to become great, a great writer. Uh, but uh, that was uh, Garden of Sun, which we made uh, in Virginia, and then. Um, uh, I guess Eddie Almos with Bob Young in um, uh, Gregorio Cortez was made in New Mexico. Um, you know, right? If you've seen that movie, there's a train. I love trains. I still have Lionel trains at my house. Right. But we had a, a you know, um, we had a, uh, you know, uh, a, a train, um, and it and that kind of stuff you have to shoot in one day. You know, the train doesn't, you can't bring the train back. And we had cowboys on, uh, real cowboys on horseback and guys on the train. And then, um, you know, uh, helicopter shot. Yeah, I, what I would do with the newscaster, I'd say, um, would you like an interview with me about the movie? Yeah. And I said, do you guys have a, a helicopter? And I said, yeah. I said, well... You give me a little ride in your helicopter, my cameraman will ride in the helicopter, and we'll do a nice interview. And so, free, we have so nice, you got a free helicopter free shot. Helicopter shot. That's a producer <laughs> on hand, man. That's a producer on hand. I want to dive in eight films with Milos Forman. One of one of the most emblematic moments for me uh, uh, was uh, the making of Amadeus in in Prague. Right, you shot in Prague. Yeah, communist at the time. Yeah. And, and with a cinematographer who I, I, I had a tremendous affection for, Miroslav Andrzejczyk, who I got to know over the years, and he passed away a number of years ago. But yes, he, he, uh, he was uh, a, a, not only a, a tremendous cinematographer and a, a, a sort of a great artist, uh, uh, but in, in, uh, I've, I've been sort of an active member as an associate of the American Society of Cinematographers since 2003. Mm -hmm. So I've gotten to know all these guys, and I was heavily involved in color correction and in finishing, and 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 back in in that era, uh, you know, and and most of the 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 era of Milos's films, they were all finished photochemically. They weren't finished with digital tools. They were shot by incredible cinematographers, and I remember reading the article about Miroslav Andrzejczyk shooting uh, uh, in Prague uh, uh, with 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 candlelight. And with uh, and with with uh, uh, also sort of a limited amount of uh, of of artificial fill to make the feeling of the moment of that period. That must have been an absolutely remarkable set to be on uh, for throughout its production. Well, that was shot at the Till Theater. Um, uh, the beauty of that was that they were going to close down the Till Theater for renovation, so we can do whatever we want. If you went to the Till Theater today and you looked up in the balcony, you will see Mozart's engraving of his head. He premiered Amadeus uh, in the you know uh, in the theater in Prague. In Prague, um, we had to bring in British riggers um, to put up rigging to get those chandeliers on motors. Um, the, you could make a very nice movie on the candle budget of that movie. Um, the only way to control the candles on and off was that I incorporated the extras who were below the candles to light them and put them out in between scenes. 
So when we'd finish a scene and it'd be like an hour or so before the next scene was ready or who knows what, I would lower the chandeliers and the extras had little things underneath their seat and they put out the candles. They had candle they had candle dampers, metal yeah, candle, candle dampers. And, and they and you were And we and, had contests. Who can put out which all right, this candle is ready, you know, I mean it was, you know <laughs> uh, that's the you know, that was great, you know. In, incredible. Yeah. What an achievement. And 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 every aspect of it from the 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 time that it was shot, because we're talking about, it was released in 1984, so it was, what, shot in 83, I'm guessing? Yeah. Yeah. I My mean, son was born in Prague on Amadeus. Un- unbelievable. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> they said to my wife, well, where are you going to go have the baby? You're going to go to England or Germany? He said, well, these people look okay. I mean, they're walking and talking. <laughs> they speak six languages, not like American who barely speak English. Um you know, this looks like a good place, and we had it there. And uh, the beauty is that when you're in the hospital after that, um, they have the best beer in the world, Pilsner Urquell, and they would give her Pilsner because it was good for the baby, you know. So mom got beer right after birth. Yeah, it was beer, you know. That's fantastic. And then in those days, the father was not allowed in the birthing room. So what do I do? I gave my wife a walkie-talkie so that she would keep me posted. Oh, the, the 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 doctor the head's coming out. <laughs> For hey, real. it's a boy! It's a boy! <laughs> and I'd be in the next room. What a story that is! And then the doctors would say, "Well, I think we're going to go get a cup of coffee." Uh, and they nodded for me to go on in and have a, see a little of my wife. You know, it was great. <laughs> That's fantastic. But then, you know, in the Czech Republic, we had a, a, a high-end British carriage, and. My wife would go into the grocery store and leave the carriage outside, and a half an hour she'd come back, and the baby and the carriage were there. It would be fine. So when we came to New York, she went to Christidis, you know, and left the carriage outside. People came running in. Whose baby is this? You can't leave the baby outside. Someone's going to steal it. You know? Steal the baby. Yeah, yeah, you have to bring the yeah. baby inside. That's, that's hilarious. <laughs> Oh, my God. But, what you know, story. Mirak Andrzejczyk, as you're right, um, I made, uh, starting with taking off, uh, all the movies with him. So Mirak was with uh, was with Milos throughout those. All oh, the, he made the, he did rag, movies in the Czech he did Republic. Rag, and he did Ragtime. So he goes back to the Czech Republic with Milos. Yeah. He yeah. About Loves of a Blonde and Fireman's Ball. He was... He did those Czech movies. Yeah, I mean, because amazingly, I got a chance also uh, later on in in his career to work with him when he did a whole series of films for Penny Marshall. Uh, uh, oddly yeah. enough, a relationship that he also developed, which was, and yeah. she fell in love with him. She yeah. she could not have him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he was such an interesting man. He used to walk with a, he, he had a cane, I remember. Even in, bef- I mean, I don't know if he had a walking thing on going on, but he was a, he was a character he was a character no, he unto was in a himself, car accident. and he was yeah, and he was a, he, he, and 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 had physical needs, but he was a very stylish and under, uh, unusual kind of, you know, he was a presence in the room, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, let me tell you, um, yeah. on Ragtime, uh, every once in a while, Milos would say to me, uh, usually it was, uh, it was um, a small scene. He said, well, you shoot it, you know. So I said, okay. And this was outside uh, the Morgan Library. First of all, Milo said to me, 
Go to the, as you remember in the movie, or may not remember, the Morgan Library, Cold House Walker is in there, and he's going to blow up the Morgan Library. So Milo said to me, go to the Morgan Library on the east side and tell him we want to shoot a movie. I said, Milo, we're going to blow up the, Golan, the, uh, the Morgan Library. He said, you go there and ask him. So, of course, I went in there, and three minutes later, they showed me the door. We're not going to blow up the Morgan Library for Milo Schwarman. So we, we built the Morgan Library in Prague. Um, and uh, so on one day, um, uh, there's a scene where Jimmy, uh, where Colas Walker is coming out right before he's shot. And uh, um, uh, there's some policemen hidden in a basement and... and um, uh, aiming their rifles at him. He said, you shoot the reverse. I said, okay, I shot the reverse. And well, a bad thing about making a movie with Milos is that as his first assistant director, I had to sit next to him in the screening room. <laughs> you know, uh, And if an extra was doing something wrong, because you know, the AD is in charge of the background, you know. Um, so we're looking at this, and he says, what is this? I said, I told you, he said, I told you to do this. He said, well, Mirek thought this would be a better shot. And he said to me, Mike, Milos is the cameraman. You were the director. You tell the cameraman what the shot is. I'll never forget it. Yeah. What's in the frame? Yeah. What's in the frame? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's because not his decision. It's your It's your decision to say, well, there's something in the frame that you may not like. I could never, there was never a time with Milos over all the time that I could not whisper something in his ear and say, did you see that? Is that what you wanted? And most of the time he said, yeah, that's okay. And then sometimes he said, I didn't see that. That's terrible. Thanks for telling it to me. So he was great. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, but in the end, the, but, the, you know, the creative being relationship. A, an AD and a producer, you have yes and no in one hand. That's the greatest thing about it. Uh, on the, a lot of the, mo the movies with Ang Lee, um, I would once in a while, if we were running over schedule, um, you know, in, closer to the mic. in those days, uh, well, and today, you know, there's monitors. Uh, people look at monitors, you know, they don't look. Uh, Milos always was behind the camera and looked at it, you know. Uh, but in the old days, uh, or in the new days, I could, um, if uh, if we were running late on a scene, I would take a $20 bill, and in between takes, I would put it in fr front of the camera, and the director could see the $20 million bill on the monitor, <laughs> and he would know what I was saying, you know, like, let's get going, you know. <laughs> Anyhow. Time is good. Time is ticking. Yeah, time, time is, is ticking. Money. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And you had to keep, and you always had to keep the pace. That was, uh, that's yeah. what your, that's um, what your, your life was on, on set. But you know, always you, on uh, set. actors are, are always a problem for assistant directors. Um, um, I made a movie, uh, uh, in New Orleans with James Gandolfini um, called uh, it was too, 
It was need, uh, to, need to have my Sean Penn. It was about the Louisiana governor. Um, need to have my title list available. Yeah, yeah. look it up. It's, what uh, year was that? Oh, I don't know. In the, uh, in, the uh, in the in the eighties or the nineties? Yeah, no, it was. Uh, Sean Penn was in it. Mike Medavoy produced it. Um, yeah, I don't have the uh, I don't have the the it, title at the tip of my tongue. Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, let's see what we're think Who of. Who was it. the director? It was directed by. Um, That'll help me. Uh, it wasn't Steve Zalian, was it? Steve Zalian. So it was all the King's Men. In all the King's Men. That then, yeah. So that, we, that's what how year do we make know. that? Two thousand six is when you made 2006, all the King's Men. Yeah, I, I was involved with all the King's Men. We shot it mostly in New Orleans. Written and directed by Steve Zalian. Yes, it yeah. was. Yeah. And um, the opening sequence is that uh, James Gandolfini uh, is um, promoting uh, Sean Penn to be the governor, to be. Uh, um, to to potentially be the governor, and it's a scene in a like a pool hall, and uh, the crew call is at seven, so I must have been there at six thirty. Cask, you know, seven o'clock. Equipment comes out. We pre-rigged it, I think. Hair and makeup people are there, and um. About 7.30, I go get a cup of coffee, and um, I get a call on the walkie-talkie. Uh, I think I'm there at 8 o'clock, and James Gandolfini hasn't showed up. He, he, uh, he's not in the car. So I go back on the walkie-talkie, and I said, tell the driver to go into the hotel, and... Um, uh, ring his room. Comes back. He did it. He's not answering. Now, um, I know that from the past I had done some homework that James Candafini had a slight problem. Gotcha. And, gotcha. Uh, and so... Um, Code language. Uh, I call the studio and say, what do you want to do? And they said, well... Um, I said, recast, uh, find another scene. What do you, what do we want to do? He said, well, send the crew home after eight hours. Send them home and pay them for eight, and we'll see what happens tomorrow. So he was a no-show for the day. He was nowhere to be seen. And so in New Orleans, um, it was always smart to have a police detail on the set. And... Um, so I get on the walkie-talkie, and the, the, the captain, I ask the captain of the detail to come see me at the coffee truck. And I said, um, do me a favor. He said, uh, put one of your men in the lobby of James Gandolfini's hotel, 24-hour basis, off-duty cop. Um, 12-hour shifts, sit on a couch near the house phone. If someone comes to see Mr. Gandolfini, I think you know what to do. I said, I, yeah, I think I can figure out what to do. <coughs> so that night, 
about 10 o'clock, some dude goes to the house phone and asks for James Gandolfini. And um, the officer on duty on the, on the couch goes up to the guy and opens up his coat, shows him his badge, opens up his coat, and shows him his gun and says, uh, come on outside. Um, that was the end of the visitors to James Gandolfini. Um, the next day, James Gandolfini came on the set, um, never had a problem with him any other days. At the end of the movie, um, James Gandolfini asked me to come to his camper. And I did. I said, hey, James, what, what's up? He said, here's a little present for you. I said, thank you. I open it up. When I go out, I go, oh, go back to my trailer, whatever it is. I open it up. It's a Rolex watch. He knew that I saved him in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he was, uh, <laughs> yeah. he was, uh, he was about he, to be gone. Yeah, yeah. He was about to be gone. Yeah. You know, it was great. You know, unbelievable story. <laughs> unbelievable story. <laughs> but those are the types of things that you had to do uh, in your in your career for productions in general, yeah. right? Occasionally, there'd be a renegade or a situation that would yeah. run off where you'd you'd have to deal with something like that. Yeah. I didn't always get along with Milos. Yeah. There was one incident where we had a big argument. And that was on The People versus Larry Flynn. At the beginning of the movie, Larry, Larry Flynn and his brother, they, um, they grew up in, I think it was Tennessee or Arkansas. And they, as kids, they were uh, making moonshine and selling it to people, you know. And Milos wanted to reproduce this scene. So I said, well, um, where that took place is 500 miles away. Uh, um, I'm, we're not going there, you know. I'm not going to take up the crew, drive to wherever it took place. We're going to find it here, you know. It's Creative like, geography. Yeah, Producers. It's a, it's a hill, you know, with some trees and whatever, you know, and uh, so I spent about a week looking for locations, and there was a friend of mine um, who was the um, manager of the hotel we were staying in, the Holiday Inn, and her husband was a, a rice farmer. And, and I found a, a, a farm with an incline. It was no mountain, but it was, it was an incline, you know. So I said to Milos, um, Let's go look at it. You know, I think it's fine, you know. So on Sunday we hop in a car and with the with the gaffer and the grip and the stunt coordinator and the special effects guy because um There's a uh, visual effects shot. You know, yeah, you know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, uh, and uh we go there and we get out of the car and uh he walks up the slope and he walks down and he says, It's no good. I said, what do you mean it's no good? He said, well, it's not, it's not what I have in mind. It's no good. I said, oh, so now i got to spend another two weeks chomping around looking for goddamn locations, you know, 
What you, it's fine, you know. What are you talking about, you? I'm not really cursed at him, you know. I said, it's easy for you to say. You're going to go take a nap, and now I'm going to spend every weekend <laughs> out looking for your stupid hill, which this one's fine. And he's like 50 yards, in fr 30 yards in front of me walking down the hill. And he said, okay, we'll shoot it here. And then, of course, uh, Andy Armstrong, who was my stunt coordinator, um, brought in hoses, and we made it muddy, and the kids went up, and they slid down the hill. It's a great scene, you know. It ended up being a great oh, scene. Oh, it's a great scene, and he's, you know. <laughs> and in the end, he was fine. Yeah, he was fine was with fine. it, you know. <laughs> Tell me the, the story behind uh, uh, a film that uh, was an absolutely amazing budget uh, and location that you worked on, uh, Gangs of New York, working with Martin Scorsese. Yeah, and how that and how that came about? Because in your Johnny Cash, that's the other movie that I was going to do. Okay, oh, that was that was the story you were telling before. Yeah, Johnny well, Cash was the other film you were going to do with James Mangold, right? Instead of yeah. uh, the one that you yeah, did with, back, with, yeah. with Brokeback. Yeah. Um, well, I I was brought on. Again, how did that happen? Yeah. Well, um, Kevin Hyman, uh, who uh, film finances. Was, uh, and Miramax. He was at Miramax yeah. and uh, worked for Harvey Weinstein. That's right. And uh, um, uh, they wanted someone on the set um, to look over. Uh, um, the overall production, right? Overall production, because it was because it was at Chinachita. It was uh, it was yeah. uh, it was a very large production, and it was something that was of the of the, the the size and scope of the types of things that you probably had already done really and yeah, with, I mean, with, we built... with, with Milos you had done that already yeah 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 and I mean that was the only place to make it you couldn't have made it in America Chinichita, you know uh, their technicians uh, did Ben Hur I mean th those fire engines they built them I mean you know it was incredible um, uh, I put, you know, it was with Leonardo and Cameron Diaz. Who knows why? But she was fun to go out get ice cream with. With, you know, I what uh, why she was in the movie, and then she was in Hell's and Hell's Angels or some other TV series. So we had to shoot around her, and it took place over different time periods. So I'd have to completely change the set back to when Cameron could come back for two days. You know, it was incredible. Oh, then there was, she was so she was in and out in on the set. Then I think was, Daniel Daniel Day Lewis was in oh, it as well, right? I never met Daniel Day Lewis on that movie. He was always Bill the Butcher. I mean, you know, he was in character at all moments. Yeah, so you were dealing with his his uh, his method, his method, of course. Oh my God! Yeah. You know, uh, yeah. I could never call him Daniel. I have to say, Bill, do you have some time? I have a question for you. You know, what I mean. So he was he was in character throughout oh, the time yeah, you were in production. Throwing, yeah, throwing swords um, and knives. He was, you know, kind of, amazing. You know, um, so uh, the first day of shooting, it was. Um, Dante Ferretti was the production designer. And the first day of shooting, um, Marty calls me up. He he never liked anybody in his tent where he was watching the monitor. And it would be Thelma Shoemaker, which was his editor. Absolutely. Um, uh, uh, 
Michael Ballhouse was the DP. DP, And yeah. Marty. And then there would be eight PAs around on the outside keeping everything quiet. I'd walk in smoking a cigar. I, <laughs> he's not going to tell me. I'm not going to go in there. So he calls me in there, and he says, look at the scene. And I said, yeah. He said, it, it looks like Sunday morning. I said, you're right. Um, there are not enough people here. Next day, we had to make 200 people rather than 50 people every day because Dante Ferretti, the set was too big. We made it too big. After about a week, Marty calls me back. And the beauty about Chinichita is that Studio 5 uh, was away from where my office was. And outside my office, to keep saying, I had a garden. And I had Chinichita put in a watering system, and I grew flowers and a cactus. I don't care if the set was burning down. People knew when I was in the garden not to be disturbed because this was my sin. Because Marty, Marty is a great director, but difficult to work with. Um, and nothing is a compromise. Nothing, and when I say compromise, nothing can be slightly changed from what he wants uh, to make it easier to do. It's always the hard way to do it, or maybe the right way, but according to him, the hard way was the right way. So one day, I'm in my office, and I my walkie-talkie's on the desk, and um, I, Marty wants to see me. I said, great. And the beauty was that the stage was like two blocks from my office, so I could walk over and say, well, what could be the problem to myself? What to judge myself, you know, what, 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 what's wrong or what's going to happen. So I get there, and he says to the playback operator, put up scene five, take two, whatever scene we were on. And it's Leonardo walking through a crowd. And um, Marty says, look at the scene. I said, yeah, I'm, I'm looking at it. And he said, um, the extras. I said, yeah, I see the extras. He says, they all look Italian. I say, bravo, Marty. We're in Italy. <laughs> they are Italian. Um, <laughs> you and Dante wanted to make it here. It was the right place to make it, but they're Italian. He said, well, they don't look Irish. I said, no, they look like the descendants of uh, Caesar. <laughs> they, they're Italian. You're, I'm, I don't know what to say to you. So that night I went to the British Embassy, the Irish Embassy, the American Embassy, and looked around and said, hey, you got blue eyes, how do you want to be in a movie? So the next... So you had to bring together extras that, yeah, that so fit the, the mold the you couldn't be day, using. Yeah. Next day yeah. I got 10 young people that the embassy said, okay. We dressed them up and put them around Leonardo. I said, we're back in America, Marty. <laughs> he laughed. He said, okay. That's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, and the trouble with that, with Marty, was he wanted to make that movie for 20 years. So every day, Joe Reedy, who was the... Joe Reedy, a, yeah. Joe Reedy's his yeah. famous AD, who yeah. we just saw recently at a council meeting. He would meet Marty, rather than be on the set, he would meet Marty where Marty's office, and he'd say, okay, what version of this scene are we going to do? The 1980 version, the 1990 version, the 1994 version? So... 
that was it, you know. So it had been around for a long enough time yeah. that that was the case. Yeah. I, I was there 13 months. Uh, um, and I was there because uh, Harvey wanted me there, you know. I would rehearse Harvey Weinstein going in to see Marty. Um, I would say, what do you want to talk to him about? I want to talk to him. We don't like the name Dead Rabbits. I said to, I said to Harvey, do not bring up the name Dead Habit, Red, Dead Rabbits. That's Leonardo's tribe. Leonardo sleeps with dead rabbits. He loves dead rabbits. Marty will go berserk if you mention it. And then, of course, you know, he did mention it, and Marty would throw up the desk across from him, and I wouldn't see him for the rest of the day. I said, Harvey, I, to I told you, don't mention dead rabbits. <laughs> You had to manage that relationship. Oh, my God. <laughs> incredible, incredible story. Um, you've been uh, a, a professor yeah. for many years. Uh, uh, talk to me about how long you've been connected to the Columbia University program and, and, uh, and your life at, at, well, at, at, at Columbia. I have a Columbia. course now at Columbia in the spring for writers, directors, and producers called Let's Discuss Your Movie. In the class, it's called What's Wrong With Your Movie. Um, and I look at uh, screenplays and or movies in transition to see um, how I can make them better. And then in the fall of the year, I meet on an individual basis. Prior to that, to read their scripts, figure out how to make it, or why is this scene in there, or what's happening, or what's your planning, helping them budget. So I like it. Also, the best thing is that First thing in class, I say, where are you from? And if they're from some other country, they say, I'm from uh, Venezuela. I said, do you have a film school there? And they say, yes. I said, well, call them up and tell them I want to come. And it's been very successful. So I've gone all around the world, thanks to my uh, agents, my students. Oh, they've, 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 they, each of them have been able to send you to the local university. The, That's they wonderful. They fly me there and uh, I, yeah. And you're able to give classes yeah, there. Right. Uh, there, there was, uh, did you have some involvement with the school in Cuba or in, where was it? A, 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 did you do any pro program education in Latin America at any point or no? Other than, I mean, because no. Columbia's been your main, right? No, you know, I think Ira, you know, we have three concentrations. We have writing, directing, and producing, you know. Um, so now we take uh, students just into the producing program. One problem that we're trying to fix now is that um, a lot of the producers, maybe because they didn't get into the writing and directing program, they come in the producing program. And then when I meet with them, they show me a screenplay they wrote. I said, um, you're in the producing program. You're here to produce other students uh, directing uh, movies. Why are you writing a screenplay? That uh, comes from television. You know, all directors now are producers. Why are they producers? For two reasons. One, they want to protect their movie. And two, they get an extra uh, check you know, they get a producing they, they, check. They get an extra line item on the budget. They get a producer's yeah, fee, a course. weekly fee, and a weekly director's. That's why director's. agents are producers. They, you know, the director doesn't want to pay the agent their fee, so they make them a producer, and they get... And they go into the budget. Yeah. 
that's the way, the way to make it the way to make it work yeah. the way to make it work uh, fantastic i hope this the studio doesn't see this podcast i'll probably never work again oh no 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 not at all um you know i i i think that you know when you look at your life and and all that you've done you still feel that there are things that you want to tell you've got a story now that you're working on i read something about the the white Sox baseball story the black Sox. are you not involved in that is that a no, I don't, which which because it is a statement that you are involved in no in the i'm project. trying to make a um uh the scandal about the black Sox. no you're not involved not with me. that that's not I, you um, so that's a miss that's a that's a typo uh, in, in information typo, about you yeah uh, I'm trying to um, make a movie with Ed Pressman called The Monkey Wrench Gang, a famous book. Um, uh, we've had trouble getting it off the ground. But, uh, I also talked to Mike Metavoy about helping him. Um, I'm actually, when I go to California, I'm going to try and get in, in touch with Michelle Gondry again. Um, uh, I have I have no grudges about anybody. No, of even course if they not. Ch- they treat me no. badly, I go back and say how you doing. You know, it, it, life's too short. Um, of course, you know. Yeah, yeah. But you, David but you... Mamet, I'm gonna. There were years where David Mamet wouldn't um, uh, take my phone calls. And I you, you did you did Phil Spector with him, right? Yes, I did. Which was, I think, the last project you did with 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 David. Yes, am I right? Because you were on the with unit. Al Pacino. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. There were years where David wouldn't take my phone call, and now there's a movie uh, that I'm doing with Ed, uh, a movie we made together called Homicide. Now they want to do a TV series, so I called up David. He was chatty. I couldn't get him off the phone. He was happy to talk to me. <laughs> it's funny how people are. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, time, time uh, pushes on. Of time course, heals a lot of stuff. Heals yeah. those wounds. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And on a and on a consistent basis, your your life is in these project development stuff that you're doing, and then you're 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 teaching as a a professor at well, Columbia you- and. Uh, and sort of staying, staying in a, well, in a Charles, cycle. Young yeah. people, I'm, I'm not going to learn from old farts like myself. Yeah. I want to. Uh, one, I want to. I feel I've been a luck. I've had a lucky career, and I, I, I owe it to give it back to 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 share, share my life. You know, people say, "Why are you telling anecdotes?" I say, "Well, anecdotes are going to prevent you from making the same mistakes I do. If you don't want to hear anecdotes, don't take my class." Because they're lessons learned, you know, um, and I feel necessary uh, to pay back the charm life I have. My God, I have a Buffalo Ranch in Montana. I live on uh, in New York. I'm teaching. I'm meeting young people. Uh, what's not to like, you know? A great life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm lucky, you know. Would I um, have chosen a different one? Would I be a priest in South America? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh my God! The, <laughs> no, man, you are the 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 ultimate uh, uh, producer, filmmaker. 
uh, uh, foundation uh, in in New York for so many. I decades. do have a foundation. If you care to contribute, <laughs> you have a you have a foundation. Do it. Does it help the Buffalo or is it for film? Um, <laughs> some of it ends up at. Uh, um, the award ceremony at Columbia in the spring. You know? Oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Michael. Yes. Thank you. Well, Charlie. So much for coming on. This has been so much fun. We've had a, a good, had a good chat. <laughs> yeah, we had a good chat, man. Well, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Go make some movies if you've learned anything. Um, <laughs> yeah. Use it. Uh, Absolutely. If you haven't learned anything, um, <laughs> <laughs> That's okay, too. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Michael. This is great. Uh, thank you so thank much. Thank you.